from the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is the Relevant Podcast. Every time I think that I've been taking the steps, you end up not at me for making a mess. I can't understand what you don't understand, baby. And every day I wake up and I make money for myself, and always share It's Friday, March 6th. The year is 2020 and you're listening to The Relevant Podcast. My name is Tyler Huckabee. I am coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. Meanwhile, down there in Orlando, Florida, he is in charge of getting the Tulsi Gabbard campaign back on track. It's our friend Chandler Strang. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Meanwhile, Chandler, keep putting <laughs> W's on the board. <laughs> 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 Rack him up and knock him uh-huh. down. That's the illustrious producer Chandler Strangway up there in Loveland, Virginia. He just got finished washing his hands for the sixth time this morning. It's our friend Jesse Carey. <laughs> A solid elbow <laughs> bump to you, my friend. <laughs> 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 and a skeleton crew this morning, Jesse. I know that you're you, you're a man. You're you're a man. Of, you're a serious man. I am. You're, very, you're a gentleman. Very. You, you take you you're, you you have a, a, a I would say your inner your inner dial is attuned to the severity of global situations with unfailing accuracy. So so tell the people how serious are you taking the CDC recommendations about hand washing and face touching and all that stuff right now? Hey man, well in, in all seriousness, I I do think uh yeah, well I I do think a lot of the the concerns for for the coronavirus you know are some of them are not in line with like the reality of of like the severity. Like I think there's a lot of fear mongering. Sure. I understand that, sure, sure. but in all seriousness, people should wash their hands a lot during the day because if anyway. you're listening to this yeah you should do that anyway yeah. but the, the 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 reality of it is too like the the people who are most vulnerable to to this are are people that are you know a bit older maybe have compromised immune systems yeah. Yeah, yeah so so even if even if people listening to this are kind of in a range where you're not really in danger of of you know if 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 you somehow did get contracted contract this virus you know most likely you'll recover uh you know statistically but it's the right thing to do to protect people who who may not be as healthy so everyone should be washing their hands everyone should be taking it's better to be cautious in a situation that's that's my take what about yours Tyler? well i i think you're right and i think the reason that you're you're especially attuned to some of the science here today is because of the guest that we're having on that's later right that's in right in the program today we, it is a little bit of skeleton crew today it's just me jesse but oh we got a special treat for you coming up we are joined by by a, a gentleman who i think people are going to be very familiar with <laughs> maybe not speaking in on on this lane in particular no, but, but we were combo. definitely interested to hear his thoughts uh from the host of cosmos one of the most famous scientists probably in pop culture right now uh mr neil degrasse tyson going to be joining us jesse you had quite a conversation it was quite a conversation we're going to play it pretty much in its entirety later um but you know there's been some dispute about how this interview actually that's true actually uh uh, lots of takes lots of takes because around the office you know uh, so i i i wasn't expecting i before the interview with neil degrasse tyson which you'll hear later I told Tyler, there are probably two things that if Neil deGrasse Tyson is stopped in the street and asked every, every day, 
it's it's he probably hears the same things every day. He wants people want to ask him about God and faith, and people want to ask him about aliens. Right? Am I wrong about that? Like, I feel I think like those are probably on the like the the, the top, top ten. I feel like those are top 10 questions. Yeah. Chandler, if, if, is there a God? Yeah. It, and is there, are there such things as aliens? Chandler, if you were, if you were switch place with me and you had the interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson, what, what would be one thing? If you could ask him anything, what would it be? It would probably be about aliens. <laughs> I mean, I get, why not? Sure. You I, lost I your chance. You yeah, lost your right. chance. You could ask him anything and you lost your chance. Chandler. It would have been aliens. <laughs> Don't deny yourself. <laughs> okay. You're so right, I right. knew going into this interview, and let me say this, as you'll hear later, it was a really fun conversation. Cosmos is a really great show. It debuts, I, I, I want to plug it right now, debuts Monday night on Nat Geo. People should check it out, National okay. Geographic channel. Um, it's called, it's the third season of the reboot of Carl Sagan's series. It's called Possible Worlds. So t- I told Tyler before, I definitely have to ask the faith question. I have to ask him about the tensions with faith and science. That That's kind of our our beat, right? But I was like, Tyler, if there's enough time, I'm going to squeeze in a question about aliens. I did not expect the conversation to get so heated, so much so that I kind of felt like Neil deGrasse Tyson was yelling at me. Now, Tyler, <laughs> you've heard a clip of this. I, I listened to it. And, I, I'm on your side. And I, I felt like I'm getting yelled I'm at. Side. I was literally getting Team yelled at by one of the great scientists of our time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we made up. It was fine. But I wasn't used to getting yelled at like that, especially now. Neil deGrasse Tyson is not someone you want yelling at me. Now, Chandler, you you cut some clips and you uh-huh. dispute whether he was yelling at me or he was just being very emphatic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You told me last okay. night that, he, that you got yelled at because it was shortly after you had this interview. And mm-hmm. so I'm expecting, you know, full on voice so, raised. I think he was just kind of talking to you like like you're kind of an idiot for asking those that question (laughs) (laughs) well that's not disputed he was definitely talking like i was an idiot for asking those questions maybe we have different maybe maybe we have different standards i felt Uh like i was not just getting you know talked at like an idiot because because honestly i can be pretty idiotic sometimes and i'm on team neil here not team jesse Uh like he i told we've all yelled at jesse i've been yelled at by plenty of times so here's what here's what you know i was gonna save this till later why don't we do this right at the top of the show guys why don't we do Let's do it. Are just going to get it out of the Let's way? Let's do it now. What, Chandler, are we you have, cool with that? Why yeah, don't we get, we're going to play the full interview right. later. But I, okay, right. so, so, Start so we this. did the interview and right. I want yeah. people to make the determination. Am I being yelled at by Neil deGrasse Tyson? Okay. <laughs> am I getting yelled at by, 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 you know, the host of Cosmos? The nation, nation's so, foremost astrophysicist. Po- so I'm going to set the context. At the point of this, at the point of these clips you're about to hear, I had been talking with him for about 20 minutes at this point. And I, <laughs> I asked him what I felt like was a fair question. I was like, look, look, there are these, uh, um, uh, clips going around that, that, that are apparently from the U S military, um, that, that show kind of these fuzzy, uh, you know, kind of flying objects. We can't really tell what they are. You know, given that a lot of people are, are really curious about, about aliens. I was, and I asked him like, does he think it's reasonable that we will encounter intelligent life from another planet in our lifetime? He gave a very long answer, but at some point it kind of got, it, it got amped up. Chandler, why don't you play clip number one for us? I'm not going to predict for you when that will happen. I can't. Yeah. All I can say is it'd be really fun if it did happen and we want to be ready for it. If it does, and, and with regard to the fuzzy video that the military shows every now and then, do you realize more than a billion 
photos and videos are uploaded to the internet every day. Mm. That if, if you are mishandled by a police officer, minutes later on the internet, there's seven different camera angles of that. Okay? Yeah. If anyone saw an alien, do you think that would go unphotographed, (laughs) unvideoed? Do you think that would not go viral by now? Do you think aliens are only manifesting themselves to humans, to to the U.S. military by fuzzy video? Do you think think that's the goal of the aliens? (laughs) I I see. It just sounds like he's talking to you like you're (laughs) I think the escalation. So you think you you don't think it's anger. You think it's just I'm talking to an idiot here. Yeah, yeah. And I have to speak loudly and slowly. Do you, think, do you so really think that I don't know how many times you said that, but yeah, do you really think Listen. that? Okay. And you weren't even the, I feel like he was talking to you. I, I mentioned this to you, Jesse, like you were the one bringing him this video on a phone. Like you had dug up a VHS yeah, tape or something like I didn't say like verify that. if this is an alien. I just said is an alien. I just felt like I got a little heated there. And then I try. Okay. So I, he continued to answer the question and guys, I'm a master at disarming situations of tension by breaking the ice. And, and Born I've maker. had people yell at me many times and I say something and get them to stop yelling at me. Chandler play clip number two and see how I resolve this for everyone. If you have eyewitness testimony, presumably you'll have iPhone testimony, but you don't. Yeah. Where is it in the billion photos every day? Yeah. That's what we're looking for, and it's not there. It, it is weird that I they try to get it all your face. No, no, no. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, you make a good point. It is weird that they only visit people who don't have their iPhone handy at the moment. Like that's a weird pattern. Yeah, <laughs> it's a weird pattern, right? So we we heard. Like, I think he recognized. He came in a little hot there. I mean, he apologized. You know, and I and I, you know, said With one of my Grace signature one signature one liners, you know, but it just <laughs> it just the alien thing got more heated than I was expecting. I think you're right. I think that the escalation compared to the the tone, which which listeners will hear the rest of the conversation was very uh, was very friendly. Lots of back and forth. Yeah, uh, he, he didn't he didn't go off on any uh, fr- from what I heard, any long uh, uh, heated tangents or rants with you about anything else. And then this escalated a lot. And, I mean, I, I think he raises a good point. That is a good point. That is a very valid. All his piece points of, are. All his points he's, are. Perfect. He's a smart guy. Of course, he, his point. All is his good. points are perfect. It was just, it was just loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just. I didn't need them to be that loud. No, no, no. It was a fun combo. But I, I'm just. I'm just. It. It. It, it showed. It confirmed what I thought, Tyler, is that he probably gets asked about aliens every day. And that probably uh-huh. gets really old. Um, <laughs> Chandler, what is the what is the scariest person you've ever been yelled? Like getting yelled at <laughs> as an adult by another adult is still terrifying. You know, Chandler, what is the what's the scariest person you've ever been like yelled at by? Uh, I mean, maybe um, like a traffic road rage situation. I don't I, I don't I don't think I've really been yelled at as an adult by too many people. <laughs> Do you yell at your plants a lot? Like your plant children? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You can't, you can't do that negative yeah. energy. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to put that out there. Tyler, well, that's the thing. You guys are both pretty uh, uh, like mellow dudes. Tyler, have you been yelled at by... Because I was thinking sure. about this question of how many times I've been yelled at by an adult that I've truly been shaken by. And I thought of three examples in my adult life. But Tyler, okay. but, but Tyler t- tell me, tell me okay. yours real quick. Yeah, well, let's see. Off the dome, as a as a grown up, I mean, there's obviously going to be, you know, there's there's like there's cops and stuff 
that are going to yell at you, and then probably some road rage, some just some guys on the streets or whatever get start yeah. start yelling. And they've got they're dealing with other issues. I think that that um there may be uh, I, I feel like there were probably a few times when I was like serving, I was working in the service industry, yeah. Where people would start yelling oh, yeah. uh, about stuff, and that can be just like a very awkward because there you the impetus is on you. Then like I can't yell back, yeah, right. Like yeah. I can't like I'm on I'm on the clock. I'm representing the company. I can't, I can't lose my job, so I just have to be. Oh yeah, that's a very good point, sir. sir I completely understand what you're saying. I uh, <laughs> that's very valid, and like even if they're just saying they're they're just drunk and saying nonsense or whatever yeah. that, that happened a couple of a couple of different times yeah i suppose i've been i've not yelled at but i've been you know people have been very rude and intoxicated while i'm djing like if yeah. you don't play oh, what sure. they want yeah. you know yeah. what i mean yeah yeah uh yeah. but i don't I think, I don't think it's ever gotten to yelling yeah i the, the only three occasions where i've really been yelled at a solid yelling at uh one was by the owner of an arby's which I, we, me and some friends were goofing <laughs> off pretty bad, and I understand why he was so enraged. Uh, yeah. And this was not as a teen. You were in an Arby's as a grown-up. <laughs> Young adult. It's okay. Young it's adult. Okay. Young it's adult. Now it's, we we're just okay. jazzed up, having a good time. The other was the, the cook at a Mongolian barbecue restaurant one time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 had, I had jam. I had figured out a method to... You guys are. Do you guys go to Mongolian barbecue ever? Oh sure. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Ch- Chandler, are you a fan? I don't know if I've ever been. No. So so it's a it's a cool setup. It's a bunch of raw food, and you get a bowl, and you put it in the bowl, oh. and, you, and you hand it to the chef, and he's got this okay. big like stick, and he puts yeah. it on like a big stove, and he cooks it. I figured out a way that if you reverse the order. Of the, this is a pro tip for everyone. Usually, what they do is they put like noodles, vegetables. At the end of it are all your meat selections and those little sauces, right? Mm-hmm. You start at the back and you put the meats in first, and you start and because the meats are kind of frozen, and then you start putting your sauces on there, and it starts dissolving the meat, and you just start packing it in, and you can pack it like the size of a softball, and then you you just put meats and vegetables around the softball of meat. Because the reason they put the meat at the end is because most people fill it with noodles and vegetables. And when they get to the meat, they just put some on top. You should have seen when this thing rolled out, when this softball of just solid meat rolled out of the bowl. <laughs> and the guys, and it had free frozen because all the sauces I put on there. And he's in there and he's literally, he throws it on the grill and he starts whacking it with a stick and it won't even break. It's so huge. He was not pleased about that because i Really held up the line, but this was this was not an all you can eat. This is you get as much as one bowl. The other one was in. uh, uh, This is another. I I was probably like nineteen or twenty. I think I was home from college, and my brother thought it would be funny if me and some him, me and some friends played a concert, like a legit concert at like a club. And but we didn't have a band and we didn't have any songs. And my brother doesn't know how to play any instruments. And so we went to this place and I was I was playing guitar and my other buddy was playing drums. And the whole point of this was just to see how far we could go just winging it until we just have a meltdown on stage and smash some instruments. Right. That was the plan. And <laughs> oh, it, it was just a very weird cool. idea. It's just a weird uh-huh. idea. Yeah, you know, we cool. didn't we didn't care. We For didn't sure. care. Uh, and we didn't have a bass player. So we had, again, I don't know how we, in, in, when you're that age, you procure a lot of weird stuff. We did have a mannequin and we brought a mannequin on stage and put a bass guitar on him. So the mannequin was sitting in a chair with a bass guitar on his lap. <laughs> oh, and we gosh. just started, 
We just started playing drums and guitar. My brother started screaming. It lasted all of of under a minute before the owner of the the place came screaming at us. Just enough time for us to smash <laughs> one guitar, and he almost literally threw my brother out of there, like Uncle Phil for DJ Jazzy, like physically pushing him out of the establishment. <laughs> It couldn't have gone any better. It was a perfect night. It was a perfect night. But, you know, the, the Neil deGrasse Tyson thing's a feather. In, in my any cap. of those cases, did you get the chance to deploy your trademark peacemaking skills to try to turn the, the situations <laughs> the, the situations around? In in the Mongo- I think the closest one to being resolved was the Mongolian barbecue one, because <laughs> I think I think what turned I think he turned from frustration into respect for for how I had figured out how to jam that much meat in the bowl. But uh, no, I still don't go back to that Arby's and uh, I'm terrified to step foot near that, that uh, venue again. So, so <laughs> the answer is no, but all I have to say is I had, it was a very pleasant conversation. I, I, I appreciate Neil deGrasse Tyson being a good sport and really, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, suffering some, some, an alien question, but you got to ask, you know, and with that being said, if any of our listeners have any fuzzy videos of extraterrestrials or their crafts, we believe you. We are on your side. We would like to take them to Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> and to see what he has to say just about that. I, yeah. You can't argue with all oh, of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's so smart now? Smartest man in the world. <laughs> Looks like an alien to me. <laughs> Can your science explain this? Your precious skepticism? <laughs> uh, right. well we do and then we do want those videos but we got a lot to get to today we got the hot list coming up we've got the rest of the conversation of a little less intense conversation with Neil deGrasse Tyson stick with us when we come back hot list hey. Listening to Perollano by Bad Money. Beginning of the podcast, you heard The Steps. It's by Heim. Okay, time for our weekly look back at our, the top five stories of the intersection of faith and culture from the week. It's time for. It's the hottest, the hottest. It's All right, number five this week John Mullaney busted out some Jesus material on SNL. So John Mulaney, stand-up comedian and uh, alumni of the SNL Writers Room, returned to Saturday Night Live this week and opened the show with about an eight-minute uh, stand-up set, including some thoughts on what he considers to be Jesus's greatest miracle, being a guy in his 30s with 12 best friends. Here is a clip. It is hard to make friends when you're an adult male. I think that's the greatest miracle of Jesus, truly, is that... He was a 33-year-old man, and he had 12 best friends. And they were not his wife's friend's husbands. And he didn't meet them a long time ago in school. He met him in his 30s. 12 best friends. Remember when your dad went fishing once? These guys went fishing every day. And they were all best friends. And he'd do magic tricks for them, and they loved it. So that was a super good set. And we, we talked about this a little bit on the day. And this is true. This was not like Daisy Fresh. No. Daisy Original material to other people have, have made a similar. Like, I've been hearing jokes along these lines for most of my life. Yeah. 
about this with, with this kind of setup. Uh, it didn't take away from mine. I still had a good, I still thought it was pretty funny. I, I thought he did a great job. And I do like, I saw a little pushback because we shared this video on, you know, on the site and on social media. And I saw some people kind of uncomfortable with, uh, some of his jokes where it's like, and you know, Jesus would do magic tricks for them. And like, I, I understand like that's sort, certainly like an irreverent joke, but I also think, I feel like God is a sense of humor and it's, he's not like attempting to like blaspheme God. He's, he's looking at, look, man, well, if you, yeah, if you yeah. really were a, a person in the time of Christ and he's performing miracles, it would seem like magic. It, it like, <laughs> I, I feel like God is okay with us kind of being, uh, uh, you know, because yeah. I don't feel like, I don't feel like Mulaney was poking fun at Jesus. I feel like he's poking fun at our ability to really, you know, understand the cons, the, the context of God coming to earth. Like we're going to see it in terms that we understand. And the terms we understand is, you know, we, it's hard to, it's hard to maintain friends. That is a miracle, but That's obviously a, Jesus a, attracts a lot of, you know, like, real thing. I felt like it was, it was, uh, you know, good natured and, and, and a really funny set. And he's even, he was raised pretty religious. He went to, yeah. uh, he got a degree in religion in college. From a Jesuit uh, college. From, from a Georgetown. Jesuit college. Yeah. yeah. He has, he's been a little cagey on whether or not he's still like practicing or, or where he's at with all of that now, but he's defended. He has a really good bit about being irritated by some of the, like the new atheist move about uh, yeah. how he feels like they come on a little strong. So I don't think he's like antagonistic towards religion at the very least. And, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind. I don't think we need to be super sensitive to the framing of the, it, it was a good joke. It was a good bit. I, yeah. uh, it was a really, it was a good episode actually. Overall, there was a lot of really good stuff there. He's he knows his way around that set. He he spent he cut his teeth yeah. there, and you can just kind of wind him up and let him go on Saturday Night Live. And he even made a joke about how he wasn't there to promote. He he doesn't have a movie or a set or anything coming. <laughs> yeah, he he's just, just there. He just showed up. <laughs> just showed up. Yeah. Which, by the way, this is not really related, but. Uh, Daniel Craig is hosting this week. He's tomorrow night. Daniel Craig is going to be the yeah. host of SNL It'd be to promote No Time to Die, the new James Bond movie, which just got bumped to November. Yeah, out of the out of concerns about coronavirus, which I think was a very responsible move for the studio to make, and I, I understand why they did. But what is Daniel Craig going to be doing there now? Like, does he have anything to? Talk about <laughs> people like Daniel Craig. I feel I, like he could retire from the role of James Bond and still do late shows and just talk about James Bond and people would be fine with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, not, I'm not complaining. Yeah, it, it, I don't feel like it's even I don't feel like he even there even needs to be a James Bond movie coming on it coming out at all for Daniel Craig just to show up to things and do James Bond material. Like at this point, he's he's Bond forever, you know, and at this point and, and I was actually I enjoyed him in Knives Out probably more than I've been. Uh, ever enjoyed him in a and i like him as james bond but i thought his 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 southern fried detective in knives out wasn't one of my favorite it was such a weird role such a bizarre accent and i i was on board the entire time well you know what's weird is he seems to really like you know these like southern characters there's a steven soderbergh He's played a movie few of them. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what's that what's that uh the heist movie called what with, is the name of that logan lucky yeah logan lucky with channing tatum and adam driver uh, great movie uh, yeah where where he plays another kind of weird southern character it's almost like he just wants to uh uh play characters that uh are the opposite of slick james bond you know what i mean I, which i, I get gotta i be, guess for yeah. those characters who become known for like one character it seems like they're 
they're always really eager to prove that they can do something else. And I would be, I get that too. Like you want to diversify your career a little bit. And if you're tired of playing, whether it's James Bond or, or, uh, or the, like a rom-com, a lot of people get pegged as like the lead in a rom-com or, or a superhero. Your next thing has to be something that really pushes the other direction. Yeah. The guy who plays yeah. Elliot Stabler in Law and Order SVU, every time I've seen him in anything else, it's like the, complete opposite of that. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure they just put their agents on the case, like find me something so that I don't have to be the handsome person or the villain or whatever it ends up being. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, I see. If I was, if I was, I would just lean into it. I would just be the same character and every. It's basically what like Vince Vaughn has done. Well, that's a weird day <laughs> reference because I can't remember the last Vince Vaughn movie I've seen. But you know what I mean. There was a stretch in the '90s where, like, he where Vince Vaughn was like a big comedy star, but he made no effort no effort to play any character except for Vince Vaughn. Like you could have just, I mean, all they did was change his name. There was nothing different about him in that entire stretch of movies that he did in the nineties. It was the same character, just that kind of quick talking, uh, slightly agitated bro. And he just was like, all right, write another movie around that character. And I'm just going to run this thing to the ground, which he did. <laughs> That's a good point. There's a few of those actors who are just like, like, if you're casting them in your movie, you're not asking them that you, you know exactly 100% what you're getting. Like, I'm not, I'm not ever going to expect Vin Diesel to be anything other, <laughs> <Right>. anything besides <laughs> Dom. In fact, yeah. that is his character. And whether he is cast in a, in an action movie, a sci-fi movie, a horror movie, a mystery, a, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be, he's going to be Dom Toretto. It's, that's just the, he's got one he's, he's got one thing it, it's I, I would even make the case the same for even in like a, like someone someone who i think a lot of people would consider like a really great actor which he, I, i'm not saying he's not but i i feel like whenever i see george clooney in a movie he's just being a variation of george clooney <laughs> like a coolish guy that like it gets in kind of sticky situations but finds a way out he's the same guy in every movie it's just george clooney you know what i mean like it, you could drop him in a heist or you know in, in in some sort of like precarious geopolitical situation, it doesn't matter. You can put it behind a news desk. He's just George Clooney well, over and over again. Well, well, what about uh, what about not No Country? What's the the Coen, Coen brother? Brother. Yeah, it's Oh Brother Where Art Thou? It's just yeah. George Clooney. It's just like a uh, southern it, version. Yeah, he gets in a lot of scrapes. Yeah. Yeah, no, a, he gets, it's if you put him back in a time machine and put him, yeah, at the turn of the century, <laughs> escaping from jail, that's how you would expect George Clooney to act. You know what I mean? Singing and dancing yeah. and talking yeah. his way out of sticky situations. That's what he does. But know? I guess yeah. when you're George Clooney, like, there's man. only one. There's, yeah. a, there's only one George Clooney. And he, and he's and he's a good and George Clooney is a good per, is a good character on his own. Yeah, so yeah like, exactly. why, why would we ask him to be something different? Yeah, he, exactly. he, he I'm not well, complaining. Well, I'm just guy. pointing out the. I'm fact. not complaining. I'm no, I get, I get it. Same That's way. <laughs> That's uh, okay. Oh, uh, number four this week. This is interesting. So Kendrick Lamar has announced a new company that I believe is called PG Lang. PG Lang. I am not. Uh, I'm not going to interrupt. Let's get into this. No, no, no. Let's read it. Read it, and then I got Let my take. Okay, Chandler, okay. pay close attention because I want to hear your take on this too. All right. All okay. right. So Kendrick Lamar 
but one of my favorite artists, one of the best artists of our generation, has announced the creation of a new company called PG Lang, which is being described as, and this is a direct quote, a new multilingual at-service company. The press release says that it is, quote, at service to creators and projects that selflessly speak with and for the shared experiences that connect us all. David Free, who has collaborated with Kendrick on several projects, said that, quote, in this overstimulated time, we are focused on cultivating raw expression from grassroots partnerships. Now, all that makes determining what exactly PG Lang is a little difficult. There is a visual mission statement on their website. It's a four and a half minute video starring uh, Baby Keem, Georgia Smith, and Yara Shahidi and Kendrick himself. There's also some merch, and at this, uh, you can find also. Uh, presumably at some point, some forthcoming details. Th- those aren't really there right now. That's You now know what we know. I, I looked into this yesterday a lot, and, and that was the extent of the site. Uh, it's called PG Lang. It's a multilingual at-service company. Okay. Uh, yeah, a, a multilingual at-service company. Uh, ad-service or at-service? Uh, at. At. At-service company. Okay. I don't know what that is. I, uh-huh. I, I, yeah. So, so it, it, okay. When you hear that description <laughs> of, of sort of this war, let, let me let me preface to Kendrick Lamar is brilliant. He's one of, in my opinion, one of the world's great living artists. And I, I don't mean that. I mean that a hundred percent. You know, uh, uh, truly. I, that's really uh-huh. my belief. He's Sincere, a very yeah. important, brilliant artist. But is anyone else getting, you know, kind of the word salad of some vaguely entertainment related? agency thing that's kind of based on image is anyone else getting entertainment 720 prestige worldwide vibes from this like <laughs> like if you watch the pitch of prestige worldwide you know security black leather gloves dancing music videos direction filmmaking you know and it's like what is this or it's like i looked up how tom i really I, yesterday i looked up like how tom hatherford described entertainment 720 on parks and rec a premier high-end all media entertainment conglomerate like if if that was in the description if that was in the description for pg lang no one would know no one would be like okay whatever i don't know what that means but sure why not the, kendrick lamar has just launched an entertainment 720 or a prestige worldwide like some very ambiguous entertainment related agency that can't quite articulate what it is they do who their clients are what their customers are or what the business model is but it does look cool the uh the <laughs> the visual the the visual mission statement is a is a short film uh and it it opens uh it's a did, did you watch it did you did you watch it Jesse a little a little and then I'm like okay, okay this is it this it is opens not on far, baby yeah. Keem is st- is sitting in a forest and he is looking into the sun and and Yara Shahidi a great young actress walks up and asks why he's staring into the sun. And expresses some concern about him doing that, and he said, "And he said, why wouldn't I stare? Uh, something to the effect of, why wouldn't I stare at this huge source of energy?" And she said, "Well, you can go blind." And he was like, "Have you ever heard of anybody actually going blind from staring into the sun?" And she's like, "That's a good point." And she sits down and stares at the sun <laughs> alongside of him. So this is in the visual mission statement. I want to encourage our listeners well, to tell, not now stare that you into say the that, sun. Now that you say that, this business makes total sense. <laughs> Just take my money. I'm investing. PG Lang. Hey, I don't even know if that. That's how like even how it's written it's 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 all one word and it's lowercase p lowercase g uppercase g. l yeah a and g 
Pajilang. Pugling? Pugling? It's Pugling? Like, nothing about it. It it seems like self-parody. And I hate to say that because I do love Kendrick. And maybe this, maybe P.G. Lang or Pugling is going to do awesome stuff. It could turn around, right? It could turn around. Like, it could could release something... Later today, for all we know, but we're going to look really foolish if this comes. If like they make another <laughs> announcement today, and it's got a bunch of cool new projects starring young up and coming filmmakers and and entrepreneurs, and and uh, gives gives a lot of people a shot at doing making their dreams come true. That's all very possible, and if so, I will be the first to eat my words and and publicly apologize to Kendrick Lamar in person. We will be happy. We will be happy to have him on the podcast for that purpose. That may happen, and also there may be a press conference where uh, they, they explain more very ambiguous things about this business and invite reporters to jump in the back of a, a, a Hummer stretch limo with a hot tub in the back. And that would not shock me either. Like, this could go either direction here. Cultivating raw expression from... In this overstimulated time, we are focused on cultivating raw expression from grassroots partnerships. <laughs> I assume it's some sort of. I assume it's some oh, sort of. Oh, I get thing. it now. Yeah, <laughs> there is, is merch. There is merch on the site. There's merch on the site. You can. There's a hundred dollar hoodie there. If anyone's on the market for a new hooded sweatshirt, <laughs> for a Lang, get those new Lang threads. <laughs> Which I'm not opposed to. So we'll, we will we will be on this beat. I am interested in knowing more. The one the, a piece of good news is there's some sort of song in the background of the video. It could be a new Kendrick Lamar song, a new Kendrick Lamar album. Yeah, maybe that, maybe this is just a new album. Maybe yeah, maybe it's, all, maybe it's a it's weird commentary. I yeah, uh, yeah. Hope, it's, it's, I, I, I'm sort of hoping that because the the other alternative is just concerning to me. Uh, number three this week, Taylor Swift is donating a million dollars to Nashville tornado relief efforts. So uh, here in Nashville, we're still recovering from uh, earlier this week. We had a series of tornadoes come through. Appreciate. Uh, I had a lot of listeners uh, reach out. We talked about this on the Tuesday podcast a little bit with Carlos Whitaker, who's also here in Nashville, about some of the recovery efforts. Taylor Swift um, became a, she moved here uh, uh, when she started off her music career. Uh, city, I think, is was was pretty good to her early on and she's been really good to it ever since she explained on instagram quote nashville is my home and the fact that so many people have lost their homes and so much more in middle tennessee is devastating to me her charity efforts are pretty well known but she's particularly generous towards music city here the tennessean notes that in 2012 and 2013 she gave four million dollars for education at the country music hall of fame hundred thousand dollars to the nashville symphony in 2019 she gave one hundred and thirteen thousand dollars to the tennessee equality project um, uh, oh, so over two dozen people were killed in Nashville and the surrounding counties when two late night tornadoes ravaged homes and businesses here in town. It's been a weird couple of days, but obviously, uh, it's you, you hate to focus on just the you know what the celebs are doing at a time yeah. like this. And I've seen a lot of like, at the national stage how different country music stars have responded to the tornadoes, and that feels kind of like a slight sometimes to the people who really lost everything which a lot of people did but it's also true that a lot of these celebrities have resources and means that a lot of uh, other folks don't have and the fact that somebody like taylor swift can leverage her considerable influence and money towards trying to help people clean up it does mean a lot and uh and that's super cool yeah and and, and tyler obviously you're a resident of nashville <clears throat> and I, I do feel like too as someone who's been there you know a number of times and just knows a lot of people who live there who have you know who have ministries there who are in the entertainment industry 
it does seem like out of a lot of cities that are associated with entertainment, whether it be like a New York or an LA or, you know, or even like an Austin or something, it does seem to be, you know, from my experience here, and I'm kind of interested to hear yours, that people like Taylor Swift or the artists that call Nashville their home, they really seem like they're a part of the community and, and engage it. Like, I, I feel like everyone I know in Nashville has lots of stories of bumping into someone at like a Trader Joe's or something. And, and, and it's always a positive experience that a lot of Nashville artists consider they don't consider to just sort of be, um, you know, uh, these like celebrities that uh, live these gated, isolated lives. They, a lot of them, like Taylor Swift, seem to be pretty engaged with the community there. I th- I think that's true, and that's what as a non as a non as a normie I, I I won't I won't speak for the celebrity community here. I would not want to infringe upon their their <laughs> their much maligned voices. But that uh, my understanding is that, and what it seems to be here is is that it is a little easier if you are somebody with some influence, if you're a recognizable person to get around in Nashville. And it does seem like there's a, a decent amount of respect for their like personal space here that, that you, you can live in here in East Nashville or, or up there in Brentwood or Franklin and feel like you're not going to, you're going to live a, a relatively uh, people respect your space and will let you eat dinner out and go to the grocery store without uh, bothering you too much. And that creates, that does make them feel a lot more part of the community been different places where well the the rich people live over on this side of town yeah. and uh and which isn't to say Nashville doesn't have its own problems with uh uh with gentrification and uh certainly that has been a, a big big issue that the city has faced but I, it does seem like people uh who make it to who make it here in the music industry in particular are have been very very invested in the community i heard a great story from a, a, a friend of mine who's a producer and uh it, he i guess his parents moved into kind of a nice nice neighborhood and there was a house at the end of the street that you know they didn't see a lot of people going in and out of and they didn't really know who lived there they would occasionally hear music playing and they were doing like <clears throat> sort of a neighborhood like pop luck sort of like a you know mm-hmm. a block party type of situation i don't know if you guys you know do that just kind of get to know your neighbors sure. and they put flyers up and uh you know they, they so they they put one in this mailbox even though they didn't know the person who lived there they assume that person just is in home a lot and the person comes to the potluck brings like a dish and everything comes by himself brings a dish and everything everyone's hanging out they you know they take pictures whole deal and that person then shows their their kid they're like oh we met that here's some pictures and the person's like mom that's jack white like yeah. that, like yeah. jack white just can't you know lives here just those photos got passed around a little bit yeah, yeah it's just yeah. jack white hanging out at a party with a bunch of people who did not know who he was so yeah. i don't think yeah. he's, he's not like he's a very recognizable figure it's not like jack, jack white's, white's hiding the fact that he's jack white he yeah. looks like a hipster <laughs> vampire from the future <laughs> he can't disguise himself there's no disguise. he doesn't try but even if he was going to he, yeah he could he, he couldn't describe and that's uh, here in east nashville uh, casey musgraves lived here until pretty recently she moved out of uh, a little further away uh the black keys guys are here and then obviously the like numerous country music guys and and some of some yeah. of our old friends from the ccm scene are still around here too you oh yeah keep your eyes peeled for those guys yeah uh and and the, i saw, I saw a, michael dubs michael w smith was volunteering and, uh, uh, yeah, some of the I mean, people, efforts, people are, you know? are pitching it and that's uh and that's really cool and if you're somebody who lives i know we have a lot of people who live around here in nashville 
Uh, and if you've been volunteering, I appreciate that too. Super cool to yeah. see the city come together. As we all know, Nashville Michael. is Mike, Michael W. Smith's place in this world. Gone <laughs> through the dark to find it. <laughs> people, are gonna just, people just hate that now. And I'm going to keep doing it forever. <laughs> Uh, number two this week, Kim Kardashian West met with President Trump about criminal justice reform. So uh, Kim has taken a real interest, a real uh, a re- serious interest in criminal justice reform over the past couple of years. She went to the White House along with three women who had recently had their sentences commuted by the president and are now free, as well as members of the Cut 50, which is a criminal justice reform group co-founded by Van Jones. In a series of tweets, Kim explained the stories of each of the women who were subjected to extremely harsh sentences, despite all three being nonviolent offenders. Uh, she told the story of Crystal Munoz, who was, uh, that was a particularly heartbreaking one. As Kim explained, Crystal was sentenced to 20 years in prison for conspiracy to possess and distribute marijuana. She left behind a five-month-old baby. She was pregnant. Crystal was shackled by prison guards during the birth of her second daughter. Her case was highlighted by the First Step Act, which banned the degrading and inhumane treatment of shackling female prisoners during childbirth. That First Step Act was signed into law by President Trump after Kim visited the White House to lobby for reforms back in 2018. In a tweet, Van Jones wrote, quote, I hope President Trump keeps granting clemencies and pardons to sisters like this. Hashtag fight different. Um, We've talked. We talked about this in the day. I, mean, I think we've talked about Kim on this podcast a few times. But uh, it's. I, I find that this is one of the best examples I can think of of a uh, of a celebrity using their platform and influence and resources for good. Because she. Because Kim has been extremely driven by this subject over the past year or so. Yeah, Tyler, t- you're right. I, you know, I think. <laughs> People have been, I I mean, let's be honest, rightly skeptical of someone like, you know, Kim Kardashian, at least initially, who's a reality TV show, you know, who's best known for being a reality TV show star Mm -hmm. uh, to have like credibility when it comes to pushing through complicated justice, criminal justice reforms, legislation, right? Like I I feel like people had kind of skepticism, but look, man, she brought with her three women who, if it wasn't for her efforts, uh, would still be behind bars. And there is plenty to criticize about the Trump administration and especially how they've dealt with um, issues that, you know, uh, affect, um, you know, some, some disenfranchised communities. But I do think recognizing their willingness to embrace these reforms, even though there's way more that could be done to curb the mass incarceration process, every, every piece of legislation that goes to protect the human dignity of, 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 of people, whether they're incarcerated or not should be applauded. And I think I think, you know, there's plenty of things that Kim Kardashian has used her platform for and could use her platform for uh, that would just, you know, further enrich her or accomplish her own goals. But she's choosing to use her time to visit the White House to to tell the stories of these women who 
you know, received. If you read about their cases and the sentences they received, you know, they, their stories need to be told. And she's she's elevating them and telling their stories. And the White House has listened and actually en- enacted some pretty meaningful legislation. I, I hope it continues. Yeah. I, and I she's she's studying to pass the bar. You know, this isn't yeah. just a this is more than just her her uh kind of getting a hobby she's she's using her her time and energy to to prepare and to study and she knows about these cases and and she's been extremely involved and uh, and and committed not just to activists to high profile activists but also to people she's she's brought attention to people whose names none of us knew and yeah. so why is this person this person shouldn't be in jail why what's going on i i I'm really glad to see that her her platform is being used this way. And I think she's one of the handful of people who could really make a significant change uh, who's uh, in in terms of how we think about celebrity. And she's at least doing her part to do that. So that that's very, very cool. And I take back every bad thing I ever said about her. Uh, all right. Number, <laughs> <laughs> there were a few kind of those of, things, but I do yeah. take them back. <laughs> I think I had just approached her career with like indifference. You know what I mean? Like, I, sure, you know, sure. what, what, I, I've, I've never, never seen an episode. Yeah, me, I don't me neither. And, and yeah. it's not out of principle. I've just never had a desire yeah. to. And you I know? can't keep them straight. I know. I know Kim. And then there's a lot of them. And there's others. And I have a hard time keeping yeah. them all straight. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. Um, the okay. Number one this week. <laughs> this is this is great. Ben Affleck talked about faith and doubt with Erwin McManus. All right, so Ben Affleck's got a new movie out today. It's called The Way Back, in which he plays an alcoholic basketball coach trying to get his life back. Jesse's been very excited about. Jesse brings this movie up a lot. Listen, this is your, listen, this is your a former high school basketball player, kind of you know navigating some difficult situations, going through a midlife crisis to find redemption. Guys, with, you know, with with a soundtrack by Bon Iver. This is my. I told Tyler yesterday. This is my Avengers Endgame, guys. I love. <laughs> I love like. Corny, inspirational sports movies. I love them. Okay, ever since I first saw Rocky, they're just they're just always fun to watch. And this one, you know, seems to have a little bit of an edge to it. Like I said, it's kind of got the indie rock. Like Bon Iver is is on the soundtrack. Heavenly Fathers plays prominently in the in the trailer and the marketing. This is this is a movie that was made for to appeal to a human being like me. And I'm very. I, I it just came out last night. I haven't got a chance to see it, but I definitely will see it this weekend. All right, so so that so he Ben Affleck recently visited Mosaic Church to talk about the movie with Pastor Erwin McManus, friend of the pod. Uh, Affleck also discussed his own career, his legacy, and the real life ups and downs and the role that faith has played in his life. Affleck said that church is a major part of his life. Uh, he still attends weekly with his ex wife Jennifer Garner and their kids. However, he acknowledged a sometimes conflicted relationship with faith. And he struggled with doubt. It was a, it, this is true. It was a surprisingly vulnerable conversation. It was a lot more than, uh, sometimes you kind of feel like celebs are given churches a little head pat with yeah. movies like this. But, but this was, but, but Ben really showed up to have a real conversation and, and he did not, uh, sugarcoat what he had to say. Uh, take, take a listen to this, uh, this club where he talks about his own struggles with addiction. You, you know, you don't need to ultimately be sure. You need to, you need to seek. Can you seek God? Can you look for God? And then the guy has have this conversation. With him, well, I have a hard time believing in God. I don't know. Is God there? Is God not there? Just relax. Can you, <laughs> can you, can you seek God? Can you look? I was like, okay. 
yeah, I can do that. And the more I did that, and the more I allowed it to become something that didn't have to be a final determination or me saying I have the answer or I know it's right, but just a search for, um, for, a, for a higher power, for a higher mission, for a higher meaning, for what was really important in life in the world and for a God, that's, that uh, started to connect to me more deeply to faith. Uh, and in that faith has served me well in, in recovery as an alcoholic and has, um, you know, and, and there is that, that sort of thing that the, the thing that sort of that I keep coming back to with faith is there is a part of us inside like a tuning fork, you know, we sort of know when we're on the right path. You know, there's something that we can feel and that sort of resonates. And the idea that that is whether you want to call it God's will or God's voice or what God gives us or leaves us or, you know, we have that. I love the idea behind what he said there, which is, you know, when he was having, you know, he was talking about how he had met these different people in AA who gave him different perspectives about faith and, and God's will and sovereignty and things like that. And, you know, when, but his big, one of his major struggles was essentially the question of why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does he allow suffering? Why does he allow things like addiction? And that really, you know, calls to sort of, you know, major doubts. But what he says there is, you know, when a guy challenged him, like, what if I ask you really not to just believe, but just seek, look for truth, try to find God. And, you know, that's all, that's all you're being asked to do is seek truth, mm -hmm. look for it, you know, mm -hmm. earnestly. And it's like, man, that's such a beautiful idea that I wish more Christians would encourage people struggling with doubt to do, you know, because, the, the promise of part of the promise of the gospel is that it unlocks itself to people who really earnestly look for the, the key to understanding it, you know, you know, ask and you shall receive, you know, knock and, and, and it will be answered, you know, seek and you will find. I feel like that idea of encouraging people to not meet doubt with answers but meet doubt with questions is such a powerful concept because that's what we're told to do. Ask and you will receive. Not, hey, just believe some answer and you'll get it. It's like, no, no, no. You got to seek this stuff uh -huh. out. It's, uh -huh. it's, you know, like I, I thought that was a really profound idea. That's super, that's super cool. And, and I, I think it's, it's not easy for anybody to talk about um, to talk about doubt, to talk about their issues with addiction, to talk about the struggles they've had. Like that's not something that... That I don't like talking about those things. I don't. I don't think uh, spiritual leaders, uh, influencers like to talk about those things. Certainly, somebody of Ben Affleck's level of of um, prominence. You know, you're kind of expected to keep things pretty safe to talk about what you know uh, and and not to rock the boat too hard. And his the fact that he's been able to discuss his own his his issues and to give this sort of this. I think very. Uh, profound, especially for for people who are seeking, who are in the midst of 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 just trying to ask for for yeah. something for a sign. That takes a lot of humility, and that is not something that somebody in Ben Affleck's frame. We've talked about talked a lot of celebrity talk today on the pod, um, but uh, but somebody in Ben Affleck's sphere of influence, humility isn't really a given for those people, yeah. right? So, but it sounds like he still has it, and. And certainly some circumstances in his life have, have cultivated that and those haven't been easy for him. But um, um, it, it seems like it seems like he's in a place where it, I, I don't know if he would say this, but it seems like he's at least in a place where he's willing to accept um, 
help and guidance and and uh, and and being willing to look to something higher than himself. And that's a really important and, and beautiful place for somebody to come come to as hard as it is, as difficult as it can be to get there. So uh, we're, we're rooting for Ben. Yeah, yeah, on this podcast, sure. and, and, and he was, and even though he, I and he was a pretty good, he was a pretty good Batman. Yeah, he was a pretty. Was, uh, that, that's that's a hot take. I thought he was a fine Batman. The movie wasn't very good, but he was all right. He he's had a very interesting career, and just the trailers for this movie have have really inspired me to try to pursue my lifelong dream of coaching a ragtag uh, group of, <laughs> of, of of a ragtag basketball team. But instead of inspiring them to overcome adversity, I just think of cool trick plays that are outside the rules of conventional basketball. <laughs> I still have done a lot of research on my local, local high school, like Virginia basketball rules. And I have found nothing in the rule book that prohibits me from designing a play in which, in which one player is on another player's shoulders, creating <laughs> creating a super player. It's a, it's a loophole in the rule book for high school basketball. I'm just going to set the kid right under the rim, get another kid on his shoulder. We just toss the ball up there. It's a sl- It's a literal slam dunk every time. And, you know, Ben Affleck in his movie, he, he uses, uh, you know, tough life lessons to get this ragtag team, you know, back in, in a winning mindset. I will use loopholes and creative problem solving, <laughs> like setting those kids on there. I'm not opposed to a super, super player, which is three players on each other's so- shoulders. I just don't see how there's any defense for that. Unless the, uh, the implications of what I want to do, because the only way to defend three players on each other's shoulders is by putting three players on the defense on each other's shoulder. So what I'm doing, this is why they want to keep me out of basketball coaching. Because if I take over, they'll have no choice but to essentially change the game of basketball into one giant game of like, you know, pool chicken. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're in a swimming pool and you got them each other on the shoulders, that's what I would turn the game into. And that's why they're hesitant. That's why every school doesn't even want me as a volunteer. Okay? Message loud and clear. Message loud and clear. I think what you need is a school, though, like like the one that's uh, depicted in the way back. Yeah, that is just on it's like they're out of ideas. They're, yeah, they got, they got ideas. nothing. To, they got nothing to lose. Yeah, and, <laughs> and somebody there at the school. I don't know how familiar you are with people at your local at your local uh, institutions of education. Listen, I've made myself like, very familiar. <laughs> I've made myself and my dangerous ideas about the evolution of the game of basketball very very clear to them. Tyler, they know me well. <laughs> Well, I think it's only a matter of time then yeah. before they're on their last. The, the the team is down and out. They've they've gone oh and whatever uh, for too many years now. And like you know, I know a guy. I know he's not our best choice, but there's nobody else. And what have we got to lose? <laughs> what is it going to cost us? I'm not even sure if he what he's doing is against the rules. Something tells me this is a guy who follows his own set of rules. And then you know the inspirational music comes in, and I walk into the gym. I'm like, what are you kids looking at? You know, <laughs> you're about to have your life change. You don't even know it. Now get up on his shoulders, kid. <laughs> get comfortable up there. You're going to spend a lot of time on your buddy's shoulders. We're changing the way we play the game here. I'm not out to change lives. I'm out here to change the game. <laughs> now get on his shoulders. <laughs> it could really spark a return. A fantastic to movie. The- to the to the mid nineties like Airbud era like the yeah. like uh, nothing in the rule book says a dog can't play basketball <laughs> era but it's but we don't even need the dog for this one dogs are hard to train it's hard to film with a dog 
why not just go with the, 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 the point where I fly, yeah, the point I already see the point in the movie where I fly too close to the sun where, <laughs> you know, I like there's a climactic moment in the movie where like the superintendents of the schools meeting and like people that are, are like in the audience, just like shouting. And there's like the superintendent has a gavel. It's like, Order! I demand order! There will be no more standing on the shoulders! It is in the rule book now! We've closed the loophole! And the next game, I have designed a very, very long basketball jersey so that when I put the kid... On the other kid's shoulders, it looks like a player with an enormous torso. And I'll poke little air holes where the numbers are so that the base, the kid that's on the base can still breathe. But thankfully, thankfully, I saw this coming and I ordered very, very breathable mesh for the jerseys. So my plan will still work, you know, and it's after I win the state championship that I reveal that it was just two kids on each other's shoulders with a very, very long jersey and not a freakishly long torso. It's going to be a great movie. I can't wait for people to see it. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. Well, that will do it for. It's the hardest, the hardest. It's sizzling. Stay tuned when we come back, the rest of our conversation with Neil deGrasse Tyson. I wake up feeling nothing. Camouflage the wind from the sky. I sit in my piano. Wonder the wild you're listening to lilacs by waxahachie so neil degrasse tyson is an astrophysicist he's an author he's the director of the hayden planetarium in new york city he's the host of the new season of cosmos it's called possible worlds now that show is a reboot of carl sagan's classic series looks at all the big questions of science space exploration and technology it is airing on mondays on national geographic jesse you uh you you shouted with Neil this week. <laughs> yeah. you, had a, you went to the mat over several important issues. No, this part of the conversation is uh, is is very I, I think is very illuminating. Uh, we talked about faith and uh, and some of his thoughts about um, the possibility of a spiritual realm. Uh, how did the conversation go? Yeah, I, dude, it, I was super excited, and and Cosmos is such a cool show. I I, I have really enjoyed watching it. I, I I loved Carl Sagan. I liked the first couple of seasons of Cosmos that they they did. Um, and I was just really impressed by. I mean, look, you're talking Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's he's an incredibly knowledgeable guy. But the two things that jumped out to me about the conversation was the optimism and hope he has about the future of humanity and our will if we're willing to embrace science and innovation, and also his willingness and real desire to um, kind of. Uh, have conversations with people of different opinions and views. As you'll hear, he kind of has strong opinions about people who are, you know, kind of overly fundamentalists and not open to having conversations with the people who think differently. But overall, he's someone that really sees value in talking to people, uh, uh, you know, whether they have a background in science, whether they are someone who considers themselves religious or someone who's just curious about what the future is like. It's a great conversation, a great show. And here's part of that convo. I want to jump right in and, you know, kind of talk about the approach that that you and the team have taken this season with the, the idea of possible worlds and, you know, looking back at the story of humanity, but also, you know, what could be in store as well. Why did you guys want to take uh, this approach this time around? 
Well, I think Cosmos in all three incarnations now, 1980, 2014, 2020, uh, a recurring theme has been hope for a future that we might be able to align or, or, or a future we can shape into something that we can all, or at least our descendants will be proud of for we having been those who set that into motion rather than have our descendants be embarrassed hmm. by the world that they inherit. And so Cosmos at its most fundamental identity is enlightening by the science it brings. It's empowering by how it reaches you once you realize what, that the methods and tools of science and technology have the power to shape a future that we won't just survive in, but will actually thrive in a way that can unfold harmoniously with the biosphere of which we are a part. Hmm. For so long, we imagined ourselves as separate and distinct. And if you do, then it's like, it doesn't matter what we do as long as it's okay for us. And then you find that, you know, the tree is creating oxygen that you breathe. Have you thought about that? All right. The oceans, which may have more plastic in it than living swimming creatures today, or whenever that day arrives, that's an embarrassing day. <laughs> and so, so what are you, what are we doing? So Cosmos has a way of stitching together our knowledge of biology, geology, chemistry, um, astrophysics, and technology to, like I said, enlighten you, but also compel you to see what our place is in that world and do something about it so that we can become better shepherds of tomorrow's civilization. I think that's such an important message because there's so many contemporary anxieties when it comes to what we've done to the environment, what kind of future, you know, the next generation and the and future generations will inherit. But having worked on on this season of the show and, and kind of taking it from this approach, are you personally hopeful about humanity's ability to kind of, you know, redeem some of the destruction that they've caused using science and creating a better world? I have a two-part answer to that. One is I'm a realist, fundamentally, and I lean optimist. Mm. I'm a realist who leans opti optimist. And the difference is Anne believes that we can create this future because we all finally one day realize that that's what we should do. I'm not that optimistic. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Somebody's got to be that in the room, and that's her. For me... I, my realistic part of me says that's only going to happen if there's an economic incentive that mm. can be brought to bear that moves people in ways that they, we know they've been moved before. And maybe that's not possible. You know, maybe there's not a good economic path to achieve the same result. And we all have to one day wake up, hold hands, sing Kumbaya, and say, this is how we've got to do this going forward. But in either case, Cosmos is deeply hopeful. Yeah. Every episode, you walk away saying, oh, wait a minute, that's even possible. And you're compelled to not just say, maybe that future will happen. You're compelled to say, I'm going to make that future happen. Hmm. So you, become, you go from an observer of what could be to a participant in what will be. Yeah. And that's a, um, I, I would say that's part of the DNA of Cosmos. Yeah. 
Well, the, 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 the show does such a cool job and I, you know, from some of the press materials I've gotten able to, uh, you know, engage with, uh, of really projecting a, a hopeful future. And one of the cool things is, you know, this look at the 2039 New York world's fair and what that could look like. What, what do you think that life will be like in, you know, a few decades down the road when it comes to how we engage with science and how it's going to affect our day-to-day lives? Well, uh, either we'll be thriving or we'll all be dead. Well, let's go with the thriving, the dead part is if, if everyone rejects science and everybody rejects all manner of all, all the warnings that scientists give and all the advice that's given and all the, if, if, if you reject it all, then we should all just move back into the cave because that's where we're all going to be eventually. But if you see what role science has played and can continue to play in the hope that we want to turn into reality, then there's no reason why it can't be fully embraced. And the reason why 2039 is established is because it's, if you followed the script, it's a, uh, it's a hundred years after the 19, the 1939 World's Fair, which Carl Sagan attended when he was five. And I attended the New York World's Fair. I visited the 1965 World's Fair, because that's how old I am, uh, when I was six. And both of those were left, left deep impressions in both Carl Sagan and in me on what visions of the future might be when you have a wise application of science and technology. So Andrean said, well, wait a minute, if Carl experienced that and Neil experienced that, let's, let's do that again. And so the 2039 World's Fair has the interesting challenge of imagining the world in 2039 and imagining the future world imagined by the people who are alive in 2039. So there's a double future getting invoked there. And that was, it ended up in the last episode. It's my favorite episode of them all because mm. it's, it's, it's just the right amount of dreaminess. And 2039 is not so far away. Yeah. I mean, 2039 is closer to us now than the year 2000 is in our past. So, yeah. so that's, it was chosen to be close enough to, be, to taste it. But not, but, but far enough in the future to allow you to be inventive about what kind of new technologies might be brought to bear uh, on what that world fair would be and how it would think about its future. It, w- without giving too much away, what, what is one potential technology that could exist in 2039 that you're personally most excited about? Yeah, I don't, you know, I stopped predicting technologies back when. Uh, just to show you how bad I am at this, uh, I'm old enough to remember Star Trek in first run uh, back okay. in the 1960s. <laughs> then there's Shatner. Yeah. Shatner, Shatner, Star Trek. Yeah. And they had this box where they food they put food in it, and seconds later it would be hot. And this was like before anyone had a microwave oven, right? And I said, wow, that's cool. Like, well, I, I, yeah, one day I'm going to want one of those. And they had, you know, photon torpedoes and warp drives and phasers and, and all of this modern stuff. And then 
the doors would open automatically when they approached him. And I said, oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> How could the door know you're approaching? There's no way for it to know. What is going on here? And there I was accepting everything else in this 300 years in the future storytelling. But I was in denial that we would ever have doors that knew you were coming towards them and would open. And of course, back then, there was a person standing behind the door pulling them up. <laughs> so <laughs> no doors opened automatically back then. That would show up in the 70s and 80s. Um, and so, but anyhow, so I'm not one to predict the future. But one of the things that I think we should strive towards is uh, imagine a, a big device that removes carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. I would call them a carbon scrubbers is what they would be called. It removes it and then buries it. And then you can, there's a dial, a knob. You can, you know, if the, if the, if the ice age is on its way, you let a little more carbon dioxide out to heat it. So we have geoengineering on a scale that we are no longer a victim of what the atmosphere is doing. That would be kind of cool if we yeah. got to that level. And by the way, geoengineering might include our ability to tap the energy from a volcano. We could tap a keg of beer, why not tap a volcano? Stick a spigot in the side and release some of the pressures, use the heat to generate energy to drive the city that, it, that the lava would otherwise um, destroy, for example. So I, I imagine a future, I think that's in a reachable future where we have that yeah. level of control. What one of the the cool thing about Cosmos and the legacy of it and the legacy of Carl Sagan is in addition to some of these like just really cool ideas that that are presented like tapping a volcano it also has for lack of a better you know word to describe it almost this like it's almost a spiritual experience in a way because you you kind of see the magnitude of the the universe and it really requires viewers to do some self reflection and you know a lot of our readers and our audience are young and also religious, but they're, they're big fans of your work. They're big fans of this show. And they don't, you know, they don't see science as like a threat to their faith. They, they, they think it just kind of expands their understanding from their perspective of, of creation. And you get a chance to travel and speak and meet a lot of people, particularly young people. Do you see that tension that maybe has existed at different points that between like science and religion fading among young people? Is that your experience as you meet a lot of people? Uh, so uh, there's a lot in there. So let me back up to your first phrase. Um, the word spiritual means different things to different people. Um, not in the old days, of course, but it was almost exclusively purely a religiously used term. Today, as you may know, there's the rise of the spiritual demographic. These are the people who would say, I'm spiritual, but not religious, right? You yeah. might have heard people say that. So uh, these are people, I think, who have retained a sense of very deep reverence for nature, a, a, a kind of respect, a respect and reverence that in modern use of the word spiritual, you would say it's spiritual. And so what's happened is the enlightened religious community recognizes the role and value of science, and science has shaped civilization, it's increased life expectancies, it's, uh, it's generated wealth, it's, uh, it's all the things that we care about in modern society has been enabled and empowered by innovations in science and technology. So among enlightened religious people, I've never seen any issues at all. The, 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 the conflict arises 
with the subset of the religious community that happens to be really loud. So you think they're like the majority, but they're not. We're talking about the fundamentalist subset of the religious community. In the West, it would be fundamentalist Christians, but in the Middle East, it would be fundamentalist Muslims, uh, fundamentalist Jews. They're fundamentalists of all stripes. When you're fundamentalist, there's no room in your worldview for a scientific discovery to conflict with what your holy book tells you is true. And that causes conflict. Now, that conflict need not manifest in any crazy way in a free society. In a free society, especially in the United States, we have free expression of religion. So if you want to be fundamentalist, nobody's going to stop you. Nobody's going to stop you unless you want to force your fundamentalist thinking into a science classroom. Then it's like, what are you doing? No, no. This is science. Make a religion class and talk about it in the religion class because that's what it is. So now whether there are trends, I don't know if there are trends other than the younger, the next generation is, is they're freely spiritual, whether or not they assign themselves to one religion or another. It, it, it does seem like the, the most vocal are the most fundamentalist, but the, the real majority aren't reading holy books as science books. You know, the, the, the majority are, are reading them for a variety of spiritual reasons. And I feel like shows like Cosmos and, and, and your work really challenge people to question why they believe what they believe in a really positive way, because it seems so optimistic and not antagonistic. And I guess when you're creating a show like Cosmos, how do you what's the creative approach to, you know, communicating these big, complicated ideas in ways that people from different worldviews and different values and different edu- you know, levels of education can engage with and enjoy, that's got to be sort of a creative challenge. Yes, and that's a brilliantly posed question. And I'm glad you, you even thought that because that's a, it's a fundamental part of how we approach the material, right? Um, at no time has anyone said of Carl Sagan, nor I think of me, maybe, unless they didn't tell it to my face, that at no time are we preachy to you. It's more, and in fact, what the tagline is, come with me. We are going yeah. to go on a journey. Rather than stay in your seat, I'm at the chalkboard, and I'm going to deliver a lecture, right? No, these are not lectures. These are not, we're not talking down to you. We are on a shared journey of exploration for what the grandeur of this universe is and what the methods and tools of science have revealed about it. And now that you you are there, let's see how we can harness this new insight to become better citizens mm. and, and better managers of what our the, 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 of what our civilization has wrought, right? Yes, we invented cars, but then that made pollution, and then we that pollution, but then we have CO two, and so so yeah, we, you don't want to you don't want to indict everything that we've ever done because there was not, it wasn't done with malice; it was done with with hope of a better yeah. future. But sometimes there are unintended consequences, and so you address those as they arise using the knowledge and you hope wisdom to do the right thing by that, by that challenge. So it's a matter of taking a topic 
not being preachy, not making you feel bad for anything you thought before, but celebrating this new understanding that we are bringing to you about how the world works. And I think that has been successful. And people from all walks of life and all ages and all demographics and all religions have embraced science, uh, a cosmos in this way. And in ways you can't, uh, that other documentaries don't allow you to embrace them. Yeah. That's why when you look at Cosmos, you're not thinking, I'm watching a documentary. That's not a thought you're having. In fact, I don't know that there's a word for what Cosmos is on the landscape of informational programming. But, yeah, um, yeah it's, not, it's not off-putting, and that's very purposeful and conscious. That was Neil deGrasse Tyson. Next up, Jesse has a suggestion for Outlaw Heroes. Stay with us. Is it possible to have opinions about political leaders, love those who disagree, walk in integrity, vote with conviction, and still care more about who God is than who the president is? Reverend Eugene Cho's new book, Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk, is your guide to engaging in politics while staying rooted in Christ. Available now wherever books are sold. You're listening to Outer Sunset by Taicho. All right, Jesse. It's been a little while since we revisited. Uh, since, we, since we had a little outlaw hero conversation, but well, what's going on? Ch- Chandler, you were, I, I feel like you're sort of, no pun intended, my partner in crime on the outlaw hero segment. Um, uh-huh. for, for people that aren't aware of this segment that we've done a couple times in the past, how would you describe uh, uh, our, our occasional segment, Outlaw Hero? I, I feel like it's... Uh Rad people you find on the internet who uh, I did something weird and you want to trouble it. for it. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they, like so. So the first outlaw hero was a, was this guy. And I actually found out he was involved in youth ministry, but he was he was d- arrested because he played a wailing guitar solo uh, in the middle of the street. Uh, on the 4th of July in, in, a, in a sweet American flag tank top and, and much to the chagrin of the police. Um, he was our first got arrested. Uh, yeah, he got arrested. But uh, Chandler, the last one that you and I did was really an epic. It was I mean, it could have been a standalone yeah. podcast episode, in my opinion, where we looked mm-hmm. at two individuals who created this ruse that they were uh, they called themselves strong men okay inspirational strong men even though the, neither of them are in great shape and have n- and we're just doing absurd exercises and like basically do pretending they were like their own version of the power team and talked their way onto morning news shows around the country doing absurd fitness demonstration and ended up getting sued for it okay and we thought this was a huge injustice I like to think that because of our coverage because of the Outlaw Hero segment that the lawsuit was dropped because it was. Yeah. So you're welcome uh, to the to chop and steal <laughs> as they went by. So <clears throat> it's been a while since we've had another Outlaw Hero segment, and I and I it's because I got to find the right person, right? right? And I think I may have found him. Okay, 
it might be very difficult to find this person because according and that's why that's why this is so intriguing to me because according to the 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 reddit post uh this 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 crime if you call it that to me this is just uh, a, a smart guy doing something smart this occurred in may of 2016 as far as i know this gentleman is is still out there we know that this happened in the town of derby which is in the uk and all i have to go by is a picture of this guy who looks the picture appears to be of taken at a nightclub and he looks like a person that probably hangs out at a lot of nightclubs okay so this was posted by someone back in 2016 on some sort of like community message board and it had a picture of this guy and it had this in all caps warning colon and here's what the warning is this guy was supposed to buy our washer dryer machine for 150 pounds. He wanted to see it working first and ask if he could do a load of laundry. After he finished, oh, I've, I've seen this. After he finished, he said, "Let me go get the money." Got in his car and drove and away with his clean clothes. Okay, That's genius. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's literally the perfect crime because one, yeah. he didn't commit a crime. You he know, they let him do the load of laundry, <laughs> and then he just drove away with it. Maybe, maybe he wasn't impressed with i guess the, it's possible uh, that he that, was like the, i don't know he, he, know, he didn't yeah. say that though. he had plausible deniability no 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 yeah. because they said according to the story he didn't say like hey the clothes aren't clean enough he said right. i'm going to get the money from the car insinuating the product worked just fine okay <laughs> how many times has he pulled off, pulled this off like does this guy does he even own a washer and dryer does he go to the laundromat or does he just keep pulling this off over and over again i have to find him i have to find <laughs> this him this is great and figure out how he came up with this ruse and how many times it's pulled off. It's like, because yeah, this is not a one time. You don't just do that, like get this idea. This no, isn't the first time he did this. It's too good of an idea. It's Going too to good the laundromat is pretty expensive, so it's not a it's bad true. idea. He's saving money. It's yeah. a fantastic idea. A f- all it takes is nerve. That's all it takes. <laughs> right. Like, it takes a lot of nerve to do something <laughs> like that. You have to be hanging out there for like an hour. Too. Yeah, exactly. it's a, this is, that is a while. It is, this is a You're while. In somebody's home. For an hour, presumably just making yeah. small talk. I mean, what else are they doing? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like, so you're making small talk with someone for an hour. Knowing, so how long have you had the washer dryer? Yeah. 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 Just <laughs> chopping it up about uh-huh. laundry. Uh-huh. Okay. For right. an hour while you're doing your laundry. So not only are you pulling the roof, you're pulling it off with someone you've really gotten to know for the last hour. <laughs> yeah. You're in their yeah. home. You drove right. to their house. You're in their laundry room, just chit chatting and you pull this over on them. Like, I mean, you can't be too mad at the guy because I mean, how much did he cost you? Like, I don't know, 45 cents in laundry detergent, uh, uh, the cost of a dryer possibly, sheet. Uh, possibly an hour to an hour and a half of your life. <laughs> but that's like, well, that's, well, you know, hopefully it wasn't too awkward of a conversation. Or maybe he just is like, I'm going to drop this in and then I'm going to, maybe he ran errands. Uh, this yeah, yeah, been, yeah, he could have, yeah. I'll be back for laundry, you know, like, <laughs> I, 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 I go check out a TV on the other side of town <laughs> and it's, 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 just, it's catching the good place really fast. I, I'm genuinely curious. Like I have a friend of mine who said he, he, he can't, he went to the, like the same like Dick sporting goods store on two different occasions and saw the same guy there legit working out, like going from machine to machine <laughs> that was on display. Like the ones that have like pins and, 
and weights and stuff. And the guy was legit, not just like testing the equipment to see like, oh, I might buy this lat pull down machine. No, no, no. He's like in there getting full on workouts. And he said that he went to that dicks twice and saw the guy getting free workouts. When you think about it, a dicks, it's not that different than a planet fitness. It's just that that equipment, it happens to be for sale. Like I wouldn't be surprised if this guy's pulling off maneuvers like that all over the place. That's why I need to find him you know, this, we're all out here playing checkers and my friend out here is playing chess and I got to meet him. I got to meet him. He's an outlaw hero. <laughs> that, well, that, as always, feel free to recommend your own candidates for outlaw hero for our very semi-regular segment here on the world that we've podcast. done twice. Yeah. um well hey i think it's gonna wrap it up many thanks seriously to neil degrasse tyson thank you uh sir for being such a good sport and for being willing to entertain our questions which were which were all very serious and you raised some very valid some very Mm. valid points about the extraterrestrial the existence of extraterrestrials yeah and definitely check out cosmos it's a killer series if you're interested in science and, and technology yeah and it debuts monday night on national geographic check it out also hey as long as you're on the apple podcast page uh, relevant daily is there that's where we bring uh you the top three stories every monday through friday at the intersection of faith and culture check that out to stay on top of everything you probably even get a little bit ahead of us sometimes here on this podcast we, we cover some of those stories in advance and then marinate them marinate on them and come back to them here for the mothership podcast i would love to see you all over there as well and with that i think we'll wrap it up i'm tyler huckabee i'm, String. I'm jesse carey have a great weekend everyone we'll see you tuesday for listening to the relevant podcast if you like what you heard be sure to leave us a review on itunes check out other shows from the relevant podcast network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. and while you're there browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store make sure to subscribe to relevant magazine info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe As we all know, Nashville is Michael W. Smith's place in this world. Relevant Podcast Network.